them. All of them. All of them. So if you will, welcome um, Billy and Donna Hires with me this morning. Thank you so much. Okay. Very good. I'm going to start, but you're going to see my wife before too long, I hope. Although I am a preacher and long and short or relative terms when it comes to, to speaking. But, um, buenos dias. Dios le bendiga, mi hermanos y hermanas. Uh, I'm saying that because I'm always trying to learn Spanish because we uh, spend a lot of time in, in Latin-speaking countries and Africa and parts of Europe and India, and we uh, live out of a suitcase, basically. But we, we really didn't want to come this morning and just talk about our missions work. Um, this is Sunday morning, after all, and we're going to get to that. But I wanted to um, speak to your hearts uh, more directly, and then we'll talk a little about our missions, hopefully as a uh, cherry on top of the cupcake of the message, if that works for you. Um, Most of what we teach on the field um, to church leaders and, and just the church in general is biblical marriage and family, discipleship, and integrity and leadership, because all three of those are huge needs uh, in the church everywhere. Um, but I want to begin what the Lord's put on my heart by going to the heart of well, it's the last words Jesus spoke before he ascended to his father, which is a big deal because somebody's last words are something we're supposed to hang on. Right. It's supposed to ring in our hearts and minds for forever about that person. And who knows where I'm going with this? The Great Commission, which is a, a, a passage of scripture we're all familiar with. Jesus has his disciples there. It says after he's risen from the dead. He's, he's got the nail scars in his hands and feet. He's getting ready to ascend. And he says, what does he say? Behold. No, where, where's that? It's Matthew 28, <laughs> verses 18 through 20. And uh, I thought I had this memorized. What's the first word? Help me. All authority. Thank you, Bobby. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, Go. And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's a very important part of that statement as well. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and low and high and everywhere. I will be with you always to the end of the age. The two key phrases... Uh, I want to focus on or the heart of this passage is go. Our, our God is a, a, a sending God. He's a going God. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. But I also want to quickly mention the make disciples part, because maybe you've heard the phrase, the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. We used to apply that to Africa, but it doesn't just apply to Africa. It applies to the church everywhere because we've done a pretty good job of preaching the gospel 
in taking the gospel to the world. We really have. I mean, there's as many churches in Africa as you go down the street as there are here in the United States, here in the Bible Belt. <laughs> uh, the problem is they're an inch deep because we've not done a good job of making disciples. Amen. And I could talk to you all the rest of the day and into tomorrow about discipleship. But all I want to say is I carry this with me everywhere I go. Who knows what this is? It's a baton. And it's exactly what's used in a relay race. There's four legs in that race. You know, the first runner starts out. I think they say the strongest runner for last. At any rate, the key is that you pass this baton to the next runner very carefully. Because if you drop the baton, which the United States team has done two times, uh, when they were supposed to win the gold, and they didn't because they dropped the baton. And that's what we're doing as the church. We have dropped the baton when it comes to discipleship. And it's killing us. <laughs> but all I want to say about this, what you're passing, and I hope you understand discipleship enough to know that God has made you for a purpose, and that purpose is to reproduce. Everything in this world, he's made to reproduce, and especially you and I as followers of Jesus. And if we're truly followers of Jesus, and that's what he called us to be, he didn't call us to be church attenders or, 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 or you fill in the blank. He called us to be followers, and to follow him means we are all about passing the baton, and this baton is us. It's our life in Christ. It's who we are. It's who God has made us to be, is making to us to be, and will make us to be. It's, it's the gospel that we carry. And, I, and I'm going to put this down in a second, but hear me carefully here. It's not a gospel of a ticket to heaven. Amen? <laughs> it's... it's, it's it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel. It's a follow me gospel. It's a Jesus is Lord gospel. Amen. And we've got to understand that because we have preached a gospel here and around the world that says all you have to do is say a prayer. I'm way off track already. I just want to tell you. When, when Christ calls you to follow him, he means business. He means you've got to die. You've got to follow me. He's not playing. This is what he said at the end. I want you to go and I want you to pass your baton. I want you to make disciples. But you've got to be a faithful disciple if you're going to make a faithful disciple. Because our disciples become what, what we are. As we reflect who Christ is to them. What kind of Jesus is your life reflecting to others? What kind of gospel are you passing? Is it a, a Jesus is my Lord and he is everything to me gospel? Or I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'll open the Jesus drawer when I need him. Amen? Okay. I want to focus now on the word go. What does go mean? In your life? What does it look like in your world? This great command, this great 
commission that Jesus gave to each one of us. It wasn't just for those 11 guys at that point, because Judas was, was gone. And he, he, he passed the baton to them and said, okay, I'm going, now you go. And in their minds, they thought, oh, he wants us to do what he did with us, right? What does that look like for you? And I want to give you two things to think about in relation to the word go. As you think about today, what does go mean for me? Am I going? If I'm going, great, Lord, but what is what is it? What does this going look like for me? So the first thing I want to say to you is God has given each of us individually a race to run. And what we go and do is run our race. I want to give you two scriptures. Acts 20, 24. This is when the Apostle Paul is making his way back to Jerusalem with the offering he's collected. Uh, It's the end of his third missionary journey. And he, he passes by Ephesus and he calls the elders of Ephesus to come out to him. It's an incredible meeting. Read about it in Acts 20. And 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 one the key of it all and what he says to me is, is this. He looks at these elders and he says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to me. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. If only I may, I may finish my course in the ministry God has given me. Do you think this is true for you as well? It is. You have a course, a ministry to live out <laughs> your Christian life. And I love this truth. I've been given a race. You've been given a race. In Hebrews 12:1, very familiar passage. It's right after chapter 11 where we have the the hall of fame of faith, right, in Hebrews. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I want to stop there. God love us, we preachers, you know, we, 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 there's a, a thing that's been taught about this, that there's this grandstands around us, and all these people that have gone before us are watching us run our race. There's nothing wrong with that image, but I don't think they're watching us. I think they've got more important things to do right now. I think the glory, being in the presence of the glory of the Lord is much more engaging than watching us. I think the word witnesses there that we're surrounded with, what does a witness do? A witness gives testimony. And chapter 11 is their testimony to us. They're not witnesses watching us. They're witnesses to us about how to run our race in faith. Every one of their stories is a witness to us about this is how you run your race. And it goes on and says, so let us also, just like they did, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Because if we're going to run our race well... You know how runners run. I mean, they're all in their little, what the speedo stuff. You know, we got to get down to our speedo spiritually. That's not a good image. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. Yeah, Billy's. Um, 
But listen to what it says then. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every one of you have a race set before you by the Lord. And he's made you fearfully and wonderfully to run your race. It says in Acts 17 that that God determined the times and the places in which we should live. You're not here by accident. You're here to run your race. And it may be the rest of your life is run right here in Franklin, North Carolina. He may have you run your race in, in Ethiopia. Who knows what your race is going to look like? And that's the thing. Each of our races is designed by God for his glory. To get us conformed into the image of Christ in the way he wants us to reflect his image. All of us reflect it a little differently, don't we? We each have a DNA. There's nobody else like you. And that's not about looking at me. No, it's so Christ can work in us to make us the runners he wants us to be. Everything about your race is designed to conform you into the image of Christ. And we can't look at somebody else's race and say, man, why, why is their race like that? I mean, they have obedient kids. They, you know, their car runs, you know, you're in my race, you know, my race is all this stuff in my race. Lord, why? God is sovereign and he is directing your course. Your task is only to follow that other great word from the Lord, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength and love others like yourself. And he'll take care of the rest. Hunger and thirst for that, and your race will be what it's supposed to be. Amen. That's the first thing about your go. Remember, it's a race that God has marked out for you. The second thing is that our race, our going, will always be, if it's from the Lord, way, way too big for us. Take it to the bank. It's going to be too big for you. And I want to give you, um, oh, and why would that be? <laughs> it's so God can get the glory. Because if it wasn't too big for us, it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm, so, I'm such a spiritual guy, you know. I, I can do this. No, we can never do this. There are things we can do. But if you want to really be going into the things God has called you in your race, it better be too big. And I want to give you a couple biblical examples. Uh, the first being, Don, would you bring my Bible? Um, Moses. You know the story. Moses is in Midian, taking care of the sheep. He's already done his thing in Egypt and fled as a murderer. And, and, and he's out there and all of a sudden he sees what? A burning bush. And, uh, you know, when you're reading stories in the Bible, try to put yourself into as, as much as you can. Imagine yourself there. It's a good way to help interpret the Bible. You know, feel it. Uh, there he is. And, and God says to him, uh, let's read it, verse 10. Uh, speaking from the bush, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. 
You know what? Let me stop before I read this. Think of how big this call is to him. God is going to ask Pharaoh. No, got to go to going to ask Moses to go back to the place where he's a wanted murderer and stand in front of the most powerful leader in the world and demand from him to let all his workforce go. That's all God's asking of Moses. <laughs> so he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Oh, by the way, and he's got to go to the Israelites first and convince them that he's not crazy. That he's really on a mission from God in telling them that he's their deliverer. Okay. But Moses said, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, God said back to him, but I will be with you. Key statement. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. That when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Do you understand what God just told him? My sign to you is when you've done it all, you'll stand here again victorious. That's my sign to you. Nothing beforehand at this point. <laughs> Just do what I say. I'm with you and it'll be done. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? See, he's making all these excuses. He's, he's you know, he's in fear, total fear. And, and. And this is where God says this. Because he says, what, what do I tell him? What, what is his name? What is your name, Lord? And what does he say? I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Wow, that's powerful. That's what you say to atheists. That's why it says the fool has said in their hearts, there is no God. Because God is, I am. <laughs> you don't get more am than God saying, I am. And this is what he's telling Moses. It's not good enough yet. He goes on through, got, you know, throwing the staff down. You know, God now gives him miracles to try and prove to him, I'm with you. I am. And then Moses come back, comes back, Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, excuse me, that's where he does that. What's that in your hand? Throw it down. But I come down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes, his, makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. Go, you cotton picker, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You know what Moses says next? I'm reading it right out of the book. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And God gets angry. You don't want God to get angry. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And of course, Aaron comes up and Aaron becomes his mouthpiece. 
Interesting stuff. Way too big for Moses. And he fought it. Second person is Jonah. What was God asking Jonah to do? God was sending Jonah on a 550-mile trip. Now, he could walk. He could ride a camel. Uh, probably his only options. And uh, that's a long way, even on a camel. To go where? To a vile, violent, evil nation called Nineveh that hated the Jews and the Jews hated them. And he wanted him to go there and get in their face. Tell them, God's going to judge you. And, and under all that, Jonah had a white-hot hatred for those people. White-hot hatred. We always think, oh, missionaries. They go to places where God has warmed their hearts toward these people. And they're going, because, you know, not in Jonah's case. God commanded him to go to a people he despised. And he despised them when it was all over, too. He's God's worst prophet, that's all you can say. But you know the story. God, my point here is, when God, it's from God, it's going to be way too big for you. It was for Moses, it was for Jonah. And in both these cases, they rebelled against the call to go. And notice, it doesn't matter. They ended up going anyway. Because God is, I am. <laughs> and God is sovereign. And God works out his purposes in our lives, one way or the other. Tells us a lot about who our God is. And lastly, I want to mention Abraham. Abraham's a little different. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's a pretty big challenge, too, isn't it? Leave it all, Abraham, everything you know, and go. And Hebrews 11.8 sheds a little more light when it's taught in the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says of Abraham, he went out not knowing where he was going. That's scary stuff. Have you ever had to do it? <laughs> Our call. Our call to go is going to be too big for us. And it's going to be scary. We're going to say, Lord, please send somebody else. I can't do this. I can't talk right. I can't think right. I can't, I can't walk into this unknowing. And that's when you know it's God. Amen? I'm talking about your going and how you're understanding the command for you to go. My darling and I, Donna, who's been my wife of almost 39 years. Um, so you guys been married how long, John? 41. Mm -hmm. I would love to digress and tell you a story about them. By, uh, I got to tell you this. Do you know what John gave Kathy on their first anniversary? He gave her tires. Tires for the car on the first anniversary. Is that accurate? It 
Her first birthday. I knew it was an important occasion. Anyway, I'm sorry, John. Donna and I have had, Donna and I have had two Abraham calls in our life. We call them Abraham calls because it's when he calls you to go into a place you have no idea how this is going to turn out and it's scary as all get out. And the first one was when we came from Orlando, Florida to Franklin, North Carolina. Um, I was a youth pastor down there. Everything was going fantastic. And uh, God said, go. I want you to leave all this. I want you to move to North Carolina. And uh, I came to Franklin. I was a drummer and a youth pastor. And I went to the uh, employment office. And I said, I'm looking for work. And they said, well, what do you know how to do? And I said, well, I, I know how to play drums worship, wor- and played in worship bands. And I had a Christian group. I said, great. Uh, I said, Did the church invite you here? I said, no. Uh, and I said, uh, uh, oh, that, that and, I, and I said, I'm a youth pastor. Church, no. And, and I said, they said, well, where else would you play drums? And uh, I said, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, I guess you could play drums in bars, but this is a dry county. And it used to be anyway, used to be then. And they said, so why did you come here? And I said, well, the Lord told me to come. And this guy looks at me and says, well, the Lord gave you a bum steer. And uh, <laughs> but it all worked out and it was God was in it. You know, it's easy to look back and see God in it, but it's hard to see it up front. And, and seven years, seven years ago, Donna and I got our second Abraham call. Um, I was in a church that I'd pastored for almost 20 years down in Tampa. Um, loved it. Uh, we had been going on missions trips all through that time that was pastoring churches. We, we knew that one day we would go into missions, but we, we just didn't know when. And I'm going to save that story for my wife to share with you in just a second. But why don't you come on up, darling? But um, we made that step into the unknown seven years ago. And uh, I'm going to let my darling... Uh, I call her my queen because that makes me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, it started for us in 2009 and the Lord, as he did when we moved up here, just began to stir our hearts. And um, so we knew something was up because we'd already experienced this stirring in our in our hearts and our spirits. And the Lord gave us two words in 2009, and that was downsize and simplify. And so we just started doing it. And then we were given two books, Crazy Love by Francis Chan and Radical by David Platt. If you haven't read those books, read them. (laughs) They go well with this message. Um, But... They were fuel for the fire that God had already begun. And in uh, around January of 2011, as we began getting rid of stuff, and just we call it peeling the onion, we just started getting rid of the easy stuff. And then little by little, Billy investigated the most inexpensive way for us to live, and that was an RV. So we ended up uh, buying an RV even before we sold our house. And um, we thought it was to give more money to missions. That's what we thought this, all this was about. 
But in January of 2011, uh, we have a good friend who was president at that time of Missionary Ventures, and he um, said, you know, you guys have been involved for over 25 years with Missionary Ventures. Why don't you come to the training and just become, you know, official with us? And so we did. That was June of 2011, and it was while we were there, uh, about midway through that training, that the Lord said, now's the time. Now's the time to be all in. And we didn't know um, what that was going to look like, except we said uh, we went. To, we uh, we said we'd go. We'd put our house on the market in January of 2011, and this was June. We'd had two people look at it. It was a terrible time to sell, and they're just you know we'd had two people look at it. Well, on in January uh, when we were at the training on Friday. We were commissioned. On Sunday, we shared with our church, which was probably harder than the day we left. Um, and then on, uh, on, that was on Sunday. On Monday, somebody looked at our house. On Tuesday, they looked at it again. On Thursday, they put a contract on it. So it was obvious then that the Lord was clearly directing um, uh, what we were to do, and um, it wasn't shortly after that. We had told the church we would not leave until they found a pastor. Shortly after that, uh, one of the elders was appointed as the pa- uh, the future pastor as Billy trained him for about nine months. And then in April 1st, 2012, we um, stepped out, <laughs> not knowing where our next paycheck was going to come from, Trusting the Lord to to provide, and I will tell you, we haven't missed one meal. <laughs> we um, God has blessed more than we could ever imagine. We've never had too much, but we've always had what we needed when we've needed it. Um, just to, um, have to share this: we were getting ready to go. We're going to share about our trip to um, to Greece and Zambia, and in just a minute, and. We sat down on the plane to go uh, to Greece. We were on the plane, and we got a phone call from somebody at Missionary Ventures. Now, that trip, with all the plane flights, when we do pastor's conferences, we provide for all the meals for these very poor pastors, sometimes their lodging, sometimes their transportation. But that whole trip was going to cost about $10,000. We sat down on the plane getting ready to go. And we got a call and said, we just want to tell you that someone just came into the office and they named who it was, and we know them not well, but they said they just brought in a check for (laughs) $10,000. So God has been, (laughs) he's been so faithful every step of the way. Amen. Um, We're going to do a little sharing about what we do um, that is just an example of our race that God's called us to. It's not your race, it's our race. Uh, but hopefully it will encourage you. We want to, uh, and you can put uh, first picture up. Let me pull it up here so I know what you're looking at. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are so blessed to be able to travel all over the world. And um, we just recently got back from Peru um, but 
you know, there's thousands of pictures in hundreds of places. We're just going to give you a little sample of our, our trip that was before Peru to, to Greece and Zambia, Africa. Um, were you going to tell them about this? I think you were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is an amazing group of people. They are Iranian refugees, and they live in Thessaloniki, Greece. And they're all very young new believers. Now, there's a couple, you see that, there's a couple Swedish guys that we work with kind of in the middle. The old guy um, with the glasses in the Yeah, back, the yeah. old guy with the glasses and then the younger guy down there. With our organization, they're from Sweden. and But they work with these refugees uh, on a regular basis. Uh, these folks, through a series of events, they were connected with. They're, they're, they wanted us to do a marriage conference with them. And they're new believers, and they shared their stories of how, um, it, you know, they were in danger in Iran. Some of them had become uh, believers in Iran. Their lives were in danger. Um, ISIS does not like Christians. <laughs> and so they fled Iran um, risking their lives, they went, took Walk them, walked country. through the mountains um, days, weeks, and with nothing but the clothes on their back. And these, these, many of these guys and gals are engineers and very professional people. But they walked through the mountains into Turkey. When they got into a refugee camp into Turkey, they then uh, rested, and then they went to the... Um, Mediterranean, I guess, that, Mediterranean. And, and into Greece, into an island where they were taken in as refugees into Thessaloniki, Greece, then connected with our friends that are there, and they have discipled them. But we were able to do a marriage conference with them, and just amazing stories, amazing young people. And um, this is when we were in a coffee house in Thessaloniki. By the way, we call it Thessalonica. It's, you know, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, uh, but the Greeks call it Thessaloniki, so I'm going with that. Um, but we went to the refugee camp. There's 14 of them around Thessaloniki, Greece. And these are new believers, a couple not yet believers in this circle. We picked them up in a van and a car out at the gate of the refugee camp and brought them to this coffee house. Um, there's Iranians here, Afghans. Uh, Pakistanis and uh, got to lead them in a Bible study. Uh, it was just an awesome uh, experience. Our Swedish missionaries there do this all the time, and we could go on and on. We worked with them for, for about 10 days doing this, and um, it's amazing to see what God's doing among the Muslims. And, and, and of course, the whole refugee issue, uh, we know the challenge it is for every place that, that welcomes refugees uh, here and, and all over the world. But uh, it is a tremendous opportunity for the church, tremendous opportunity for the church. And this is is a great example. I got to lead a, a Pakistani fella to the Lord. Um, and, and there uh, are over 2000 Pakistanis living on the street in Thessaloniki. They're sleeping on the street and they're so happy. Because they're, they say, we'd rather be on the street in Thessaloniki than our houses in Pakistan because it is so bad with ISIS and the Taliban. 
You just, we, you, we can't stay there. So we risk our lives to get here. We're on the street, but we're thrilled to be out of there. So it must be really bad in Pakistan. Um, we're going to go to Zambia now. We're, just, we're going to be brief with you here. Um, this is a church in, in um, Lusaka, Zambia, where we were doing a marriage conference. Um, we, we probably get more requests to do marriage conferences than anything else. Because um, uh, it's a huge need. Uh, in, in Zambia, there's a tribal group called the Tonga. And the Tonga culture, a huge tribal group, they beat their wives as a matter of course, a cultural norm. Can you imagine that? Now, we know that's not a cultural norm for us, thank the Lord, nor is it a biblical cultural norm. And there's more respect for the Bible uh, in these places, Latin America and Africa, than there is here in the United States, by far. So if you can show them from the Word of God what it means for a husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church, they repent. They just never been taught these things. Uh, and I can say a lot about that, but it's so much fun for us to be able to go in because you always listen to the guy with the accent, right? Uh, <laughs> somebody from outside comes into your culture. You have a curiosity about them coming and we have the privilege of doing that. And so we can crack that door in their culture and say, hey, guys, you call yourselves followers of Christ. Let's see what he says. And, and they go, wow, that, oh, we hear all the time. We never heard these things before. And so it's so exciting. Um, when Billy was speaking in a, for a group of Bible students um, and we were talking on marriage and family at this Bible school, one of the and he taught those things. One of the pastors stood up because he said, does anybody have any questions or comments? One of the pastors stood up and he said, I am convicted that I should not beat my wife when she doesn't agree with me. Or when she says something I don't like. And he was very... Yeah, he was representative he was of what God was doing in, in all their hearts. But uh, So uh, it's a crazy world out there. And we've learned a lot about cultures over the last seven, seven years. Uh, uh, this is... Um, we did a leaders conference in... What was that town in Zambia? Uh, Siavanga. Siavanga, uh, which is on Lake Kariba. And had 200... Biggest group we've ever had. 230 church leaders, and um, one of the things, this is a discipleship conference at this point, and we teach them how to do something called Discovery Bible Study, which I would love to tell you more about, but uh, maybe I can come back and do that, John, sometime for a discipleship conference. But uh, these pastors are, are practicing what I was just able to teach them about how to, uh, to disciple people in the Word of God, so it's not just Bible college students that can teach the Word, but anybody can. Uh, and this is the way to plant churches around. This, this method is, is being used to plant churches all over the world. Uh, it's, there's a movement sweeping through Egypt right now using Discovery Bible Study. There are hundreds of thousands, well over 200,000 believers in Egypt in, in over the last several years doing this, planting churches with us. So it's, it's exciting. And in India, it really started being used more in northern India. And uh, I just had to show you this final picture. When you go and run the race God has called you to run, you never know where you'll end up, who you'll meet, or how you'll dress. That's my wife on the right. And this is in, in the about 14,000 feet in the Andes Mountains of Peru. Uh, bitter coal there. 
we can only stand it up there for about three days before we get sick. Uh, Donna gets sick right off because the air is so thin. But uh, uh, we are blessed to be able to do what we do. And um, we have learned more in the last. We've done mission travel a long time, but since we've done this full time and really, really gone to where the people are in the way we've been able to to see the church as it is. Um, it's it's been amazing. We, we go to Guatemala in a few weeks uh, and Belize for uh, that'll be a three and a half week trip. And then uh, we go to Cuba for the seventh time in, in January. And, and on it goes. Next year's pretty much booked. But please, um, please keep us in your prayers. And um, in, in conclusion, thank you, baby. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to um, to really pray that you will ponder what the word "go" in the Great Commission means for you. Uh, Jesus doesn't play. <laughs> This is not optional for us. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? You've got to go. And you've got to figure out what that looks like for you. Two two more verses. When Jesus was 12 years old and his parents had lost him. Remember that? (laughs) What did he tell them when they found him again? I must be about my father's business. He said that at 12 years old. What a powerful statement. And we're supposed to walk as he walked. We must be about our father's business. And in John 17, the real Lord's Prayer. If you haven't read that lately, go home and read John 17. It is mind-blowing. This is when Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, in the upper room, just before he went to the cross, is praying. And they're sitting there listening to Jesus pray to his father about them, for them. It's incredible. And right up front, in verse 4, he says, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That needs to be our prayer. Lord, I want to glorify you on the earth. Oh, Lord, I owe you everything. I I give you my life. I want to glorify you. I've got to accomplish the work you gave me to do. That needs to be our heart, my brothers and sisters. And as you think about it and how those statements affect you and your heart and your mind and look at your race, you've got to ask these questions. Is it too big for me? Some of you are thinking right now, you know God's, God's been speaking to you and you've been doing the Moses thing, the Jonah thing. And, uh, and you say, it's too big. That, that can't be God. Well, it is God. <laughs> if it's too big and it keeps coming back, go for it. I am that I am has sent you. Don't waste your life, as John Piper says. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, go for it. And in the going, you're a disciple maker. You must be a disciple maker. Your DNA must be whatever my race looks like. It's about this. Passing the baton to others. 
That's what it says on here. Second Timothy two two. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you go and teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's Paul to his disciple Timothy. So may the prayer of our hearts be, Lord, do with me as you will. Whatever you want. We say that all the time, don't we? That's what we that's where we want to be. Lord, here I am. Do with me what you want. Guys, we're living in crazy times. It's time for the church to be the church. We can't just do the church thing anymore. We can't let things be as it's God wants. We talk about we talk about We're, we're wide in our talk. But how deep are we in our going and doing? Amen. So, Lord, deliver me from my excuses and my fears and my Lack of faith, because that's what it is. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And set us free, Lord, to run the race you have marked out for us. Father, when life to live will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Lord, we need you. We're a fearful, self-focused Largely ungrateful people. Lord, our our hearts want something we don't possess. We long for things we've not taken hold of. And Lord, we know that we can take hold of those things. If we truly say, yes, Lord, I will go. No longer slaves to fear. We are a child of God. We're children of yours, Lord. We're no longer slaves to fear. So, Lord, I pray you will pour out into our hearts today by your spirit, the grace to go to new places. I don't mean geographically necessarily, Lord, but take us where you want us to go in our race, spiritually, mentally, uh, relationally, and if it means taking up our roots, ripping them out of the ground, and going to another place, Lord, whatever. But Lord, set us free from all our fears, from all our excuses. Show us our race. Show my brothers and sisters in this room clearly, as clearly as you need to, Lord. It can't be perfectly clear, I know, or faith is gone. But, Lord, as clearly as we need to see, set it before us and set us on our way. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Billy and Donna. Thank you so much. Keep on casting. Keep on casting. No longer slaves to fear. I need to make an announcement and then...